Justin, Becca, and Matt. One of the, one of the things we're going to do, go to the next slide there. Uh, yeah, one of the things we're going to do over the next uh, seven or eight weeks is have a segment we're going to call Big Stories. All right? If you were here last week, uh, we, we're doing a series we're calling G. And uh, G, in a nutshell, stands for Give. Because what we want to figure out is how do we become not a big church, but a church of big people. And big people are people who have hearts of generosity and gratitude and giving, not just financially, but we we are giving people, release life people. So this week, I've asked the three of them to come up. These three particularly all have uh, life experience with with the whole financial aspect of giving, and they have a lot of interaction with generous people. Their jobs, to some degree, at some point in their life, has been getting people to understand generosity and to give to ministries or organizations, things like that. So, um, so I've asked each one of them just, to, and, and they're kind of helping us kind of bounce off ideas. How do we think, how do we how do we become a generous congregation? Um, in, in more ways than one. So let me just introduce. This is Matt Mascholi. Uh This is. Uh, let me say what I know about you, and if it's incorrect, correct me. Um, Matt moved here from the East Coast, he and his wife, Janet. And uh, uh, Matt works for, De- now he works for DePaul University in fundraising, but he also has a back with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Christian ministry on campus. Um, and then Becca Scatterday works at YMCA in their fund development department. But again, it's not so much about techniques of fundraising, it's learning about generous cultures and how do you create that. And then Justin Heimer worked for a number of years with a ministry, uh, raising money for a Christian ministry, and now uh, he's in law school here at IU, correct? So again, all about how do, we, how do you become a generous family, how do you become a generous church, how do you have that culture? So I ask each of them, just give me a minute or so, is what, what about this kind of idea excites you, what, the whole idea of creating a generous culture? So Matt, why don't you go talk to us first, so... Yeah, so as Matt was saying, um, my wife Janet and I moved here a year and a half ago from Massachusetts. Um, we had met there in college. I had spent four years on InterVarsity staff there, also attended seminary uh, while we were in Massachusetts. And Janet, my wife, had been working at the time and decided that she wanted to go back to grad school. And that's uh, really what brought us here a year and a half ago. So we've been involved in Exodus uh, this year and, and all of last academic year. But for the first year, we were kind of still back and forth between Massachusetts and here. And uh, as we've really this year gotten settled in and Exodus feels like it is our home, it is the place we want to be, I think we're really excited um, to be part of the church, to be part of Exodus and sharing the gospel, advancing the gospel, living out the gospel and our faith with the whole community um, of people in this church. So we're excited to be here, and I think um, what, we're, what we are particularly excited about, and Matt shared a little bit about what we do, uh, we get to see generosity in one aspect in our professional life. Um, I'm excited about that, and I'm excited about seeing us as a church take steps in that direction, but I think on a personal level is where I'm really excited. Um, just to be doing that ourselves. So uh, Jen and I are very excited to uh, get more involved in in the ministries of Exodus by giving our time, by giving uh, ourselves relationally. There are some things we had the opportunity to do last year. We uh, volunteered. I'm a volunteer chaplain at Backstreet Mission Homeless Shelter, leading small groups. We're really excited to get more involved in that way and, and to be giving in that way. 
Uh, and then a step that we just recently made is to become uh, tithers at, at Exodus. One of the things, when we were looking around at churches, one of the things that we really loved about Exodus was the very open-handed nature of uh, finances here, that, that we are encouraged to give 10% of our of our income to Christian ministry, but, but uh, Exodus is not tight-fisted in that way. We really liked that. Um, but I think in a certain way that very open-handedness uh, excites us even more to support the ministry that does go on here because uh, we know that it's about the gospel and it's about um, the faith as a whole. So we're excited to give our time. We're excited to give our financial resources. Um, but most importantly, I think we're just excited to do that as a church collectively over the next six or eight weeks and to see how God honors that. Cool. So, yeah. Hey, uh, Janet, why don't you stand up? Where's Janet? Just so people know. That's Janet. She goes with Matt. So Matt and Janet. All right. Very good. Uh, Becca, and before I get started, uh, Becca's engaged. Yes. Dane? Yes. I, I'm hoping you're still engaged. <laughs> I'm hoping I didn't kind of stick my foot in my Ooh. mouth there. Is Dane here? Uh, yep, he should be. Dane, why don't you stand up? This, uh, they, they, they will go together. They do go together, however you want to say that. There, anyway. Dane, and what's your last name, Dane? What's Dane's last name? Lockhart. Locker? Lockhart. Lockhart. Yes. Okay. And this is Becca. Now her name is Scatterday, yes. right? Yes. All right, go ahead, Becca. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Is this on? Oh, there we yeah. go. Get a little okay. closer. Get close to your mouth, yeah. Closer. Hi, everybody. Um, I am a recent graduate of Indiana University in May. Woohoo! <laughs> 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 and I started going to Exodus about four years ago, midway through my freshman year. Um, I really enjoyed going to Exodus. Um, I came from a Christian family where I went to church every Sunday. And um, when I became a freshman at IU, I kind of took a break from church a little bit. I kind of needed to figure out for myself um, what type of church I wanted to go to. Um, and I started coming to Exodus because, again, I was really inspired by the spirit here. Um, I was really excited about the energy. Um, and I felt like I really belonged um, in a community. And um, as a student, I was involved a little bit with the church body of Exodus, um, but it took a, it was a really slow process for me to become involved. Um, we started, I started going to church when we were back at the fields, and then um, when we moved to the Boys and Girls Club here, I started volunteering a little bit more with the up-down group, um, helping to set up in the mornings. Um, and then I started volunteering a little bit more with our um, work at Genesis House during the summers, um, spending some nights there, cold nights and warm nights, um, just monitoring the homeless shelter. And it was a really great experience. Um, but I, I kind of waited a little bit until I graduated from IU to become really involved. I started going to a life group with the Hendricks. Um, and, um, I waited until then to actually make a financial commitment to Exodus. And it's been a really rewarding experience, um, a really nice discipline for me to um, kind of commit to that. And it's something that I, I wish I would have probably done a little bit sooner. Um, I had the excuse that I was a student and I was trying to you know, survive on student incomes and pay my way through school and um, rent and utilities and all the students understand that. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to be here this morning and to help people who might be in that same situation incur and encourage you um, to make a financial commitment yourself and what that might look like and what kind of generosity, um, what the avenue of generosity looks like for you. So I'm excited for that. Good. And then this is uh, Justin Heimer and Justin's wife, Sarah, correct? Woohoo! Where, yeah, where's Sarah? Yeah, there she is. Why don't you stand up? Stand up, you got All right, all right. Ow. And uh, you guys have recently moved here from uh, Oklahoma. No, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. And uh, you're in law school, but you can tell us more. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a law student here and excited to be here. Um, I'm really excited about this whole process because I'm passionate about generosity and seeing generosity encouraged in people. The Bible talks a lot about money and what we should do with our money and how we should handle it. And um, churches don't often do a great t job of talking about it because they don't want to offend. And so I am really encouraged that Matt and Dan have said, you know, we don't want to leave out a huge section of what God talks about because it might be a little uncomfortable for people. So I'm, I'm excited about this. I've seen people um, stretch themselves and give money that they weren't sure they were going to be able to give and then see God come through on it. And it's an exciting thing. And it gets me excited about it. It's, it's one of the best win-win situations I've ever seen because the person who gives is often so blessed by the experience. Um, of being challenged by God, of, of walking in faith, and then what they give to is often um, life-changing for somebody. So I'm, I'm just really excited about that. I'm really excited about this process. So Good, good. Thank you. Thank you, all three of you. Thank you. I always give this caveat, too, when talking about generosity, whether it's, again, it's about other things than money, but... If you ever question whether our motive is about money, I don't care if you give your money to another church because uh, it's about being, learning how to be generous people. And if you need to test God by giving to another church or another ministry or whatever, um, it's not about Exodus's cash flow. It's about your generosity. So um, anyway, let me pray, and we're going to look into God's Word this morning. God, we're grateful uh, for, your, for your generosity to us, and I don't mean that tritely or slightly. Um, but we're grateful that you've given of yourself to us. Your son, Jesus, gave his life for us. You've given your spirit to be a part of our lives in real interactive ways. And uh, through that and that alone is how we can become the kind of people I think every one of us longs to be. And that is life-giving, uh, full of joy, full of integrity, full of gratitude, full of generosity, and full of life for the world around us and our neighbors and our friends and strangers uh, who desperately need uh, the love of God in their lives. Let me ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to tell you a few stories, um, a couple from the Bible, one from real life, of what I'm just going to call relationships gone bad. All right? Uh, first one, and some of these stories, you'll, the first two are Bible stories. If you know much about the Bible, you'll know these stories. First one is uh, two brothers, one named Jacob, one named Esau, and they were twins. Uh, they didn't have a lot in common other than that because they were quite a bit different in a lot of ways. But what ha Esau was the firstborn, so by, by right in that culture, he had the rights of the firstborn, the firstborn rights, the blessing, and even to some degree an inheritance. That was his right. Because of his own kind of uh, foolishness, he actually bartered his rights away to his younger brother because he was hungry one day. His brother made this stew, and Jacob said, well, I'll give you some food if you, if you promise me you'll give me your birthright. And Esau, being kind of the, in that case, the fool that he was, like, sure, I'll give you my birthright, sure, sure, sure. And then later on, when it was time to get the blessing from their father, Jacob, uh, not Jacob, Isaac. Wait a minute, I'm wrong here. I'm getting my names mixed up here. Jacob and Esau were brothers, right? And their dad was Isaac, right? Okay, sorry. Yeah, I went to seminary to learn that, yeah. 
uh, their father Isaac, in that culture again, the father would give a blessing, and the blessing, which is still true today, blessings mean something. And Isaac was going to give, told his son Esau, go fix a nice meal, and I'm going to give you the blessing of the firstborn. Well, Jacob, who was kind of a, a tricker, deceiver person, and so was his mom, they arranged that he would kind of pretend that he was Esau because the father Isaac was bl- uh, kind of blind. And, not, and so Jacob tricked his father, and then he got the blessing from his father. And then Esau came in, you know, five minutes later in the movie scene and realized what had happened. And again, the blessing means something, and, Jacob, and, and Isaac said, well, I already, I already gave it. And Esau was mad, angry. And the Bible even says he held a grudge against his brother. Understandably so. If you were Esau, wouldn't you feel angry? All right. So that's uh, story number one. Story number two, there's a man named Joseph, younger. He was the, he was the youngest of many brothers. Um, he had these dreams that God had given him about one day what he would be doing and how he would have kind of rulership over his brother's lives. His older brothers didn't like that at all. And plus, to top it all off, their father uh, was way too, showed way too much favor to Joseph uh, because he was the favorite child. And so they were jealous of younger brother Joseph. So they decided, some of them wanted to kill him. I mean, that was that bad of a relationship gone bad. They wanted to kill him, but instead they said, well, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Well, how really nice guys, of course. He's sold into slavery. Joseph ends up getting transported to Egypt, far, far away from home and family, thinking he'll never see his family again. Spent time in prison because he was falsely charged with things. So again, here's Joseph in a situation far, far away because he was betrayed by his brothers. And then later on, they get, they re, they're reunited. But the brothers are afraid that Joseph is holding a grudge against them. Understandably so, because if you were Joseph, wouldn't you have a grudge against brothers who, sold, brothers who sold you into slavery thinking you'll never see your family again? And it was like 15, 17, 18 years later. So they were afraid he was going to have a grudge. It was a relationship gone bad. Story number one, there was a grudge involved. Story number two, there was a grudge involved. All right? and, the, and the grudges initially were legitimately understandable. All right? Story number three is a little closer to, uh, closer to home. And that is uh, when I first wanted to start Exodus Church, there were some people I needed to talk to and where, my, where I was involved then. And the way in which some of them responded, I felt like was hurtful to me. Unfair, unjust, inaccurate, whatever you want to call it. You know what it's like to feel, to feel misunderstood. And to some degree, at least I felt falsely accused. All right? And I began to have a grudge against this person. And at first, the grudge feels kind of okay because they did, they did me wrong. But then you got to figure out sooner or later, what do you do with a grudge? All right, we've been doing a series we're calling G. Uh, and, uh, and ultimately, the G stands for give. We've been talking about what does it mean to be a giving person? All right, today we're doing a play on the letter G because now we're also going to say G stands for grudge. And the challenge is we want to be giving people we want to be generous people. 
relationally, but relationships are such that hurt happens, and when hurt happens, a grudge happens, all right? Now, let me kind of define grudge here a little bit. I just like the sound of that word, grudge. It's one of those words they think, although our resident linguistics professor, and he might be able to help us figure this out sometime, I'll ask him later, Marcus Dickinson, Dr. Dickinson. Uh, they think the word grudge is one of those words that came because it sounds as bad as it is, grudge. I mean, it's not a real pleasant word to say. It comes from some kind of original meaning that means complaining or murmuring or, you know, just a complaining spirit. So this idea of a grudge, and again, the Bible talks about it. It literally said Esau had a grudge against Jacob so much that he wanted to kill him. Joseph's brothers were afraid Joseph would have a grudge against them and actually treat them harshly because they had treated him harshly. Joseph didn't. And actually, if you know the story of Esau and Jacob, they reconciled. And in my case, the person I was talking about, there's this grudge, there's this sense of, it's this feeling you have that you're justified to be angry at that person because of what they did to you. All right? So if we want to be a giving culture, but yet grudges stand in the way, then how do we, next slide, how do we become forgiving people? How do you let go of a grudge? How do you do that? All right? Um, and here's the question I'll ask you. Who's your grudge against? And you might say, well, I wouldn't call it a grudge. I'm just kind of irritated at that person. Well, sometimes you may need to call it what it is, and it might be a grudge. A grudge is any time you feel some degree of animosity towards someone. It's, uh, it's when you feel some degree, of dis some degree of pleasure when things go bad for them. All right? It's when you just really don't want to be around them. All right? Um, let me see, make, make, pick a, right here, you stand up. What's your first name? Ben. All right, Ben, I want you to hold this for me. I want you to hold this grudge. All right, wordplay, all right. <laughs> I don't know, I, I don't even know what your life's like. I don't know, this is not pre-hearsed, rehearsed. What does a grudge feel like? When, you, when you've had been hurt by somebody, what does a grudge typically feel like to you? Heavy, painful. Heavy, painful. Um, you kind of feel bitter to everyone. Bitter, what does bitterness feel like? Uh... That just someone's hurt you and you just can't let it go. Okay, what does it feel like? Do you feel it physically? Like a kind of a yeah, a sick butterfly in your stomach? Yeah. All right. Anybody else? Yeah, sick butterfly, yeah. Anybody else want to hold a grudge? No, not really. Um, but we do hold grudges. And we know, and, and that we do feel heavy, kind of bitter. And yet we've learned how to mask it. Of course, because we're, we're Christians and we can't feel that way. But the reality is, and it's like I said last week, I know someone who was requested by, as a friend on Facebook by someone who had hurt them. So it's like, what do you, that just kind of stirs it up all over again. It's like you kind of feel like the grudge is, you're, you're ready to put it down, and then something happens, like they request your friendship on Facebook, you're like, oh, I got it again, I'm going to hold that again. Or, or you're ready to put down the grudge, you're ready to let go of it, and then they do it again. And you know what I'm talking about. You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. And if you're married, you know what it ha looks like in that context. Are they doing that again? I can't believe they said that again to me that way. And you're ready to kind of let go of it, and then they say it again. You're going to wear that? Oh, I'm just saying, you know, whatever. 
But you know what I'm saying? We, we, and again, we think of grudges as being like these big, awful things. But the reality is sometimes there are these really little red G's at the source of our soul that just keeps us kind of angry at somebody. And so how do you deal with that? Because if, you're, if we're going to be generous, giving people, we've got to learn, I've got to learn, you've got to learn, how do we become the kind of people that deal with grudges and release them in a healthy way spiritually that actually brings life to a situation and not, uh, what was your first name again? Ben. Not like Ben said, heaviness and bitterness. None of us want to have heaviness and bitterness in our lives. Some of us have learned to kind of mask over that heaviness and bitterness, and we just kind of put a do not enter sign on that part of our soul. But the, what Jesus came to do was help us not just to put a do not enter sign, but to get rid of it. All right? Um, one of the things, go to the next slide. We, we, have, a, we have a document in Exodus, document, but it's kind of a commitment we ask people who are part of Exodus to make, and it's called the I Trust Jesus document. It's a, it's a commitment about what we understand it means to be a follower of Jesus. All right. And the first four, go to the next click there. There's four main categories about learning to be, a, being committed to be a person who hears and responds to the voice of God, being committed to be a person of gratitude, being a person of integrity, biblical integrity in all areas of our lives. It's, these are our commitments. We're not asking for perfection for people. We're asking for, inten- for intention. But the last category is committing to be people of generosity. And there's two statements we, a- we ask as, a par- as part of a corporate commitment. Here's the two statements. First thing is, statement one is, I will practice forgiveness. Statement two is basically, I will practice tithing. I will release 10% of my income, biblical concept, back to God, first through the ministries of Exodus Church and then through the other Christ-centered missions. And those two concepts are heavily interrelated. Now, what's interesting, though, when Jesus jumped all over the Pharisees at one time, and the Pharisees, you remember, were kind of the arrogant, self-righteous uh, religious people, they were doing really good at tithing. They even would, ten- they would break up 10% of the spices they harvested from their gardens. Jesus said, you're really doing good on the second part. You're really doing bad on the first part. You're not practicing forgiveness or mercy or kindness. So let me say this right now. There are some of you here today that you are excelling in forgiveness and generosity relationally, and you may need to grow in the financial 10% issue. But there are also some of you here today that may be generous financial givers to Exodus and other ministries, and your growth edge is the first part of that. Because Jesus seemed to say to the Pharisees, you know what? If you're given your 10%, but you're not learning how to be a merciful, forgiving, generously relational person, I think Jesus would say, I'm not sure if we want your money. And, and I would say that seriously. I'm not sure if your money is really a beneficial thing to you until you deal with the first part of that. So we, we all have different growth edges. We're all at different places. Some of us may have to grow in both. Well, of course, we all have to grow in both areas, but some of them, one may be coming to focus more than other. But for these, this week and next week, we're talking primarily about what does it mean to be people who practice forgiveness, who practice being merciful, who grow in being merciful and kind and generous in the spirit relational aspect, all right? And let me go to this. To, to, let's go to the next slide. So we're going to learn how to, what does it mean to forgive? And we're going to read a passage of scripture that Jesus, it's, when you think about it, it's kind of a shocking passage. Let me just read it out loud here. Jesus says this, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
Now that last line, you kind of think, is there a typo there? If, if I refuse to forgive others, God will not forgive me? Really? I mean, that sounds like some kind of a legalistic kind of situation. Or God's kind of being, well, if you don't do it, I won't do it either. What's, what's going on there? But Jesus said this, and it's echoed in other passages of Scripture too. If I'm holding, where did my grudge go? I lost my grudge. Here it is. <laughs> I lost my grudge. <laughs> be a good thing. If I'm holding a grudge against someone and not willing to forgive, which would be let it go, then, then, the Bible, then Jesus says, then God won't forgive me. Well, that, that, again, if at, first, at first reading, it sounds a little bit goofy, but it sounds like God's being some kind of tit-for-tat God. But let me just explain what's going on, uh, and we'll, we'll see here in a second here um, about what this means. But let's just, uh, actually, read this out loud with the whole verse again. Out loud, here we go. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. All right, three things I want to point out. Go to the next slide. First thing I want to challenge you to do, uh, oops, was the next one supposed to be the, the, the grudge warning lights? Sorry, yeah, this is it. Now, I had it set up so the grudge was flashing, like a car light, but uh, the technology we use doesn't hold for that, so I had a really cool flash, but that's okay. So I can imagine that being like an engine light flashing. Because there are certain warnings, because some of you might think, well, I don't really think I'm holding a grudge against anybody, and yeah, this person irritated me, and yeah, but sometimes we're, we're, we're not willing to call it what it is, which is an, we feel this offense, or it's a grudge, or it's unforgiveness. But what are the warning lights? How do you know? Because you might think, well, I'm not really, I didn't, I haven't bought a gun to shoot him, so I should, I'm sure I've forgiven him or whatever. But it's interesting when you, there's been some psychological studies that have taught, that it, it, studying the concept of forgiveness. And there's two different aspects that show up when you haven't forgiven somebody. And they may show up one or the other. One is you have some animosity toward them and some desire to hurt them. Now, it may not be physical hurt. You may just be happy if, some, if they get embarrassed by something. Oh, I didn't do anything. I just, you're just happy when they get embarrassed. Or you're happy when they've been kind of uh, hurt in some way. You didn't do oh, I didn't do it. You know, I didn't do it. But I'm kind of happy somebody did. I mean, that's a sign of unforgiveness. When you have some degree of animosity to see that person hurt, embarrassed, disrespected, or whatever. They may have done something awful to you. I'm not, saying demean, I'm not saying diminishing what they did to you. It may have been horrible, but that never gives us, from the spirit of Jesus, a recourse to want the same for them. All right? So it could be you have animosity. You want to retaliate. That's the phrase that some of the psychologists use. You feel a desire to retaliate. The other... The other uh, marker of unforgiveness, which this just hit me a few years ago, as it's true, is that you avoid them. All right? My wife and I were at a party, a social function years ago, and the person that I talked about earlier that I had a grudge against was there. All right? The food table was over there. That person was standing right there. To get to the food table, I went this way all around there 
And then I walked all the way around back. And when I got back there, my wife said, why'd you go that way? Oh, I just kind of thought the scenery. I see some people that way. And then she actually said, is it because blank was standing over there? I was like, busted. <laughs> because I was kind of in denial. Now, I don't think God would expect me to go by that person and say, hey, how you doing? Hug, hug, kisses, hug. I, you know. I don't think God, that, forgiveness doesn't necessarily look, mean that kind of fakiness. But what, what, what I was doing was to that person, by going this way, I was withholding myself from them. I was withholding a relationship from them. I was not giving, I was grudging, I was holding. I wasn't releasing life, I was holding because I was passively punishing them by withholding my relational energy toward them. To even say hi, I could have said hi to this person. I could have said, how's it going? But I chose not to. I was withholding. And that started making me realize, wait a minute, that's a whole other level of forgiveness. I need to be aware of that warning light because I'm withholding from that person. Even this last week, there was a a small situation where I felt like I was really tempted to go this way when I should have gone this way to say hi to somebody, a different person. And I actually, in that case, chose to say hi to that person. But there's something inside of me that wanted to go that way in the Starbucks and not that way. So if you're somebody like that, or if you avoid, you know, if you, if you like hitting ignore on the f- friend request on Facebook, oh, ignore them, yeah, yeah, there's, there's an issue, all right? <laughs> if you find joy, yeah, ignore them again, you know, all right? So pay attention to the grudge warning lights. Next one. If you don't forgive them, God won't forgive you either. Now, again, that's like, wow, this is not the God I came to worship. I'm going home. I didn't come to... Here's the sense there. If I, it's like if I had this big kind of pipe uh, that God can pour into and over me. But his sen- the sense is God always blesses us to bless others. And if I'm unwilling to offer forgiveness to that person, really what I'm doing is I'm clogging this up. I'm, I'm, the pipe is supposed to go out. God blesses me, I pour those blessings out. And if I'm not willing to give it, then I'm stuffed paper or hair or gunk, whatever it stuffs up in pipes. So it's not that God, I'm not going to give you anything. It's because he can't, because it's clogged. If he pours anything in there, it just pours right out. So it's not that God doesn't want to bless you, but if you choose to clog your pipe that flows through you and then out to others, if you choose to clog that pipe toward others, there's no room left for God to pour anything on you. So it's not that God's saying, I'm not going to bless you. It's like, I, I really want to, but you've got to get rid of the gunk in the middle of those pipes. And the hard thing is, the hard thing to realize is, if I have unforgiveness or I have a grudge toward person A, it affects every person in my relational life. If I have a grudge toward person A, it's going to affect how I relate to my wife, my kids, any of you, anybody. Because the pipe gets clogged. And I start having nothing to give to others. And one of the things I realized too was, and this was a real, this was a real kind of eye-opener for me. If I choose not to forgive this person, uh, one of the things Jesus said, let me back up. One of the things Jesus said later in, the, in one of the Gospels in John, he says, if you forgive their sins, then they are forgiven. So it seemed to give me some kind of power over that person. All right? And, and I'll go to this next 
I think this is one that has it, yeah. I saw this on the internet, and I want to talk about this statement here. Forgiveness, you know, you just Google forgiveness and this showed up, all right? Um, forgiveness is not something we do for other people. We do it for ourselves to get well and move on. Sounds really good. Sounds really hallmark. Sounds really Jesus, but it's wrong. Because I, forgiveness is what I do for other people. When I choose not to forgive this person that I held a grudge against, I am withholding the way that God could bless that person through me. I'm not only holding myself in chains, I'm actually holding them in chains because I have something to offer them blessing that I'm choosing not to do. And I am hurting their spiritual growth, not just mine. And when somebody challenged me in that way, it was kind of like, wow, I didn't, I mean, I, I don't mind if I'm grudging myself, but am I really hurting them by not forgiving them? And the reality is, yeah, you are. You are, you are blocking something of God's work in life because you don't forgive them. That's the kind of authority God's given us as human, human beings. So, in a sense, it is something you do for other people. Yes, it's for yourself, but you do it for others too because we are the conduits of blessing. So maybe that person you're not willing to forgive, maybe, maybe they need, of course they need, we all do, but maybe they need some specific ways in which God to be active in their lives. Maybe they have to be, have some healing in their lives or some ways set free. Maybe God needs you to pray for them for that. Not begrudgingly, but maybe you change your spirit and think, you know what? I want God to bless that person. Next one. Last one here. The last one. Uh, challenges to practice forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is not necessarily always going to be some instantaneous event or some instantaneous change of feeling. I was reading a book this week about a pastor talking about forgiveness. And he actually had this kind of almost mystical experience where he felt like kind of in the, was it the Spider-Man movies, where the, where the dark was going out of him or whatever. But he said, that's not normal. Usually forgiveness is kind of hard work. It takes practice. We have to do things to forgiveness. And Jesus actually said in, in Matthew chapter 5, he, he told the disciples, you know, if somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean make yourself a doormat. That means make yourself vulnerable again for the sake of the relationship when God wants you to. Give them the shirt off your back. Go the extra mile. The go the extra mile was if I'm a Jewish citizen and they were occupied by Rome at the time, a Rome, which they hated, they hated the Romans. If a Roman soldier said, you have to carry my gear, by law, you had to carry that gear 5,280 feet. And if I'm a Jew, I drop it at 5,280 feet. So Jesus tells them, no, 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 take it another mile for him. But Jesus, that's a Roman soldier. Look what they're doing to us. Jesus, I know. Carried another 5,280 feet. And watch what might change in the heart of that soldier when he understands that somebody's offering him generosity that he knows he doesn't deserve. He says, pray for those who persecute you. Um, that's hard. But, you know, when I, when I think of the people, like this one person... I'll just call the person John. That wasn't his name. But I feel like God, there was a time where God wanted me to every day for a period of time say God, out loud so I could hear myself say it, God, I, I love John, and God, I want you to bless John. And it was incredibly uh, 
exposing to myself how hard it was for me to say that out loud to hear myself say it. Because I really didn't know if I wanted God to bless that person. I wanted him to get him. Right? Go get him, God. Sick him, God. You know? So here's the challenge I'm going to challenge all of you to make. Go to the next slide here. I'm going to call it the G7 challenge only because Peter said, how many times do I forgive? Seven times 70, which is actually 490. But I'm just going to ask you to do it seven, all right? And I've actually got a bunch of cards that have these things on it. The little G to the big, the little G grudge to the big green G give, all right? We're going to have, I'm going to have these available. I want you to take these and put them somewhere where you're going to see it in the next seven days. Refrigerator, car, uh, computer screen, wherever, all right? Whenever you see this, I want you to pray for that person or persons. If you have a chance to even out loud, even if you have to whisper to yourself, pray that God will bless that person. God, would you bless John today? God, would you bless my mom today? You know what my mom did to me when I was a kid? God, would you bless my ex-husband, my ex-wife? Again, this is not denying the pain or denying the wrongdoing they did to you. It's not that. It's asking God to heal them and bring blessing into their life. And I'm asking you to do it for seven days. And you may, if you forget it, I, you know, don't. Just whenever you see it, remember that. Do something verbally praying for them. Sometimes in the past, what I've actually done too, I've actually, uh, I haven't done as much, I only did it in a couple situations. I actually sent people anonymously a gift card to a restaurant. Um, now, if somebody, if your grudge is with somebody here in this room, don't send a gift card anonymously because they're going to know somebody's upset with them. All right, talk to them. All right, don't because you know let's not have this. Oh, everybody's getting gift cards anonymously this week. Oh man, you know? <laughs> don't send one to your husband or wife anonymously in the mail. You know that'd be really kind of no. But maybe, and maybe it's somebody that you know you can't talk to anymore. You can't. They don't live here. It's not, they're not a safe person, which is good. You, some, the forgiveness, doesn't always, forgiveness does not always mean automatic reconciliation. But there's always things you can do to release things to them. And if nothing else, if you can release a verbalized prayer of blessing that will take you seven seconds, Jesus, would you bless John today? Would you show John your love for him? So uh, that's the challenge. And you might think, how can I do that? And I... I was amazed when I was, I remember when I was, first saw the movie, The Passion, the Mel Gibson movie. And when, and I, I knew this, I knew this story from the Bible, but when Jesus was on the cross, being tortured, dying, he actually said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's easy for me to give if I have like seven years of time after the hurt, because the hurt doesn't hurt as much. But when I saw this in the movie and I realized Jesus forgave them in the midst of the most turbulent part of the torture. I actually said out loud, whispering myself in the movie theater at College Mall on College Mall Road, whatever year that was, I actually said, how can he say that? It just shocked me. How, and, and immediately people came to my mind that I felt like I hadn't forgiven. And I thought, wait, if Jesus can do that, that's what he's asking me to do. And if he can do that, he's given me the, he'll give me the strength to do that. I can, I can forgive that person. Last thing here, because we go to communion here. When Jesus was preparing the meal, the last supper we call it, before his crucifixion, his execution, and his torture, he takes a cup of wine 
during the meal, and this is part, kind of the, the pattern of why we do this. And he says, gave it to him. He says, this, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Because the forgiveness that God offers you, God does not hold grudges toward any of us. Sometimes we think he does, and we act like he does, but he doesn't. He is, he is as generous He's more generous than you ever thought he would be. He's more of a giver than you ever imagined. And the blood of Jesus and the cross shows that, that he will forgive whatever you've done. And he does forgive. But then we take in the body and the blood of Christ so then we can then pour it out toward others. So as we take communion this morning, maybe as you're taking the, not maybe, I'm asking you to, as you're drinking that, or we don't drink, as you dip into the cup of grape juice, we tear off the bread, you dip it in. As you're putting that in your mouth, I'm going to ask you to think of that person or persons that are hard for you to forgive and ask Jesus to continue to give you the power and the mercy to forgive them. All right? So what we do at Exodus, we're going to sing a few more songs. As soon as we start singing, you're invited to come up. We don't dismiss our rows. You just come on up. There'll be people at each of the aisles. We're off of you bread. You tear off a piece. Don't try to uh, just tear off a piece. And then we're off you the cup. Just dip it in. Don't try to drink out of it just how we do it here. Just dip it in. And then most people go back to their seat uh, and eat it. Most people eat it right here. Some take it back to their seat. There's no right or wrong way to do that. The same time over at the side where it says prayer, there are people in there willing to pray for you. Um, and maybe you might just, maybe your prayer is simply, I, I, I need a heart of forgiveness. And you don't need to tell the whole story to the people in there. Just say, that just, it's good for you to ask someone to pray for you in that way. Um, and then I'm going to have these, uh, let's see, I'll probably, put them, I'll probably put them up here and some over there because I want you to, the printer actually made a mistake and they made twice as many. So there's plenty for you to have. You, you can have, you can post your room with it if you want to. I don't care. Your roommate might wonder what's going on, but, uh, or your husband or wife. But I'll put these up here on the stool so after you take communion, if you have a chance to grab some, you can do that. So let me pray. Jesus, we're grateful uh, that you, uh, you're the big giver. You're the one that's full of generosity. And you gave when we had zip to offer you in return. And we're grateful. But God, we want to be those kind of people. We want to see our neighborhoods, our families, our work relationships change because we want to be the generous ones. We want to be the forgiving ones. But we know we can't do it on willpower alone. We know we have to open ourselves up to your power of your spirit to offer that to others. And uh, that's the kind of people that we want to be. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.